welcome back to more of a comment than a question. I am one of your hosts, Paul Connor, and I'm joined by your other host, Rachel. I keep wanting to say Ernstoff. Like it, it actually still is my instinct. Not Rachel Ernstoff, Rachel Hartman. Rachel, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Paul? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm curious though. Like, how are you handling like the the fame, the newfound? Uh, <laughs> attention and i'm sure you've been getting messages left right and center oh my god you're a co-host of more of a comment you made it like rachel probably long lost relatives are trying to get in touch to get a piece of uh a piece of the action what's it been like (laughs) yeah it's actually funny that you bring that up because um last week i published a essay about me and my sister um and sort of like how we get along with the fact that I'm marrying someone who's not Jewish and she's like a extremist and she's like active in the space of trying to reduce those sort of relationships. Mm. And so my piece was like published and then picked up by like three or four different outlets and there was a Reddit discussion about it. Oh wow. <laughs> and it was like reading people argue about your personal life on Reddit is just like a whole different kind of experience. So I think that overshadowed my fame as a <laughs> podcast co-host, but it's it's been interesting. It's an interesting week. Interesting. So what what were people arguing about? There can't be um, that many people who, like in 2021, honestly are sympathetic to the view that there should be less intermarriage between Jews and non-Jews. There, there? definitely are uh, plenty, yeah. Um, it's a very... And it's funny because like, the same people will be like, like Nazi Germany was really bad because of like white supremacy and like all this stuff like that. But then, but Jews, it's okay for them to say that like they can't marry mm. anyone else and they have to like maintain pure blood status and whatever. And mm. it's like, it's kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, it is like a very sort of non controversial view among religious Jews that like yeah, you're not supposed to marry out of the faith. And so mm. people were arguing about that, and they were having a long discussion about whether um, I'm going to maintain my Jewish identity um, <laughs> now that I'm marrying someone who's not Jewish. And it's like, I haven't maintained my Jewish identity since I was 12, but um, yeah, thanks for caring, I guess. <laughs> I feel like this should become a whole podcast episode, because I... <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm kind of fascinated by the Jewish religion. I have like one question now, though, which is like, I was always taught that um, uh, the being Jewish is passed down through the mother, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it doesn't really matter who your father is. As long as your mother's Jewish, you are considered Jewish. Your sister, well, does she follow that rule? Like, is, if you guys have kids, will she accept your kids as Jewish? Yeah, definitely. Um, they will be, she'll consider them 100% Jewish. Um, mm. But I think, like, the worry is that then my kids, you know, they're not growing up in a Jewish household, and then they're mm. going to marry outside the religion. And if I have boys and they marry mm. non-Jewish women, Shrixes. then their kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, it's just like, eventually no one no one's going to be jewish anymore it's so interesting because i mean if you go back a few generations you know everybody's family was religious right um 
Uh, but I just also think like it almost seems in the West, or at least in my family, on both sides, pretty much everybody simultaneously like stopped being super religious and believing. Like you didn't have this like intra-family conflict between some people who were still like really strong dogmatic believers and other people who were like, uh, yeah. So yeah, like this is, um, yeah, it's anyway, fascinating. A lot of stuff we could talk about. Uh, you've written a lot of interesting pieces also about the Palestine Israel conflict. So yeah, we should, we should devote an episode to it at some point. Maybe. Yeah. I I, I don't want to, you know, the more uh, I'd say controversial things, the more, different groups of people will want to cancel me and like at some point i'm just gonna everyone's gonna hate me and so that's just great for the podcast yeah our ratings (laughs) (laughs) um no if it's deflecting attention from me then i'm all for it uh so um yeah i i think like uh i'm excited you like i like your what you've brought to the podcast you're getting you're sort of fulfilling the role that almost every woman in my life has ever played which is like getting me organized and you've like made spreadsheets and stuff (laughs) like that and i will look at them eventually i promise so yeah um i just so today we're going to talk about another controversial thing you said and see if we can uh, (laughs) see if we can get you canceled by a different group but before before we get to that i uh I wanted to talk briefly about this experience that I had this week that um, I think is was really interesting. So I'm, I'm settling into life at NYU as a new postdoc, um, and I'm loving it. Like, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I think I've talked to postdocs in the past who say that, like, when you start a postdoc, there's this incredible feeling of, oh, my God, like, I can just do research all day. I can like look at data and analyze data all day and, and you don't have to teach and you don't, there's so much you don't have to worry about, like fulfilling course requirements or anything like that. So I feel incredibly lucky and especially just being in New York, for me, it's very exciting. Like I grew up in a town of like 10,000 people, country Victoria in Australia. And um, yeah, not many people from Wangaratta High School end up doing a postdoc at, at NYU. So like... I'm still sort of pinching myself that it's real and, and it's great. And I'm, I'm very happy with where I am in life. Uh, but I had this really interesting experience this week um, that kind of put a dampener on it. And I'm, I'm going to try to talk about it without mentioning any names and, and, being, and being very vague because I, I, don't, I don't really want it to become like a public thing with the individuals involved kind of uh, going at each other. But... Um, I was in a situation where I overheard uh, some faculty at NYU, excuse me, at NYU, faculty at NYU, so I'm not going to say who it was, talking about uh, like somebody I know. Uh, So this this person is a tenured professor, but is, you know, somewhat controversial and somewhat known to have heterodox views. Uh, So they sort of cut against the grain. Um, They're a bit contrarian. They they sort of... um, argue against kind of the the consensus positions within our field and these what well one of one of the nyu professors said something about this person that i just know not to be true so they they basically said that this person promotes the idea uh that genetic differences between racial groups are the explanation of like group differences in say like crime rates for example mm-hmm. and um it really like I kind of perked up when I heard that because like 
I was pretty sure like it wasn't true um, and I have sort of contacted this person and just asked them hey like is there any truth to this I overheard these people who I'm not going to name um, talking about you and, and they said this and I think it's not true but can I just can I just confirm and they said no that's not true at all never written anything and they, this person has a rational wiki page do you know what rational wiki is um, yeah, I'm familiar with it, but maybe should describe yeah. it for our listeners. Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It sounds, it seems like, like the, the kind of work of one, like super angry person who's like, <laughs> it's like a shit list of like everybody they think in, in academia, who's like a bad person. And it's like giving all sort of almost like trying to give all the dirt on all the bad people. But if you read it. Um, it's just incredibly uncharitable and it, and it really puts words in people's mouths and it like, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. It's, it's pretty wild. Like, um, there may come a time when I have a rational wiki wiki page, uh, which is not a nice thought because it's, yeah, it's like, I think the, the name like rational wiki makes it sound like it's like this really like wikipedia but for rational people or whatever and you know that sounds like a good thing but then you start reading it and that's not at all what it is yeah like and i think like um paige harden has a page and and it's sort of like trying to paint her as sort of like this eugenicist nazi type character which is like very very far from the truth like it's almost like anybody who accepts anything about genetics or like hereditarianism is is automatically sort of persona non grata and you get a you get a rational wiki page but anyway this this person that i'm talking about has a rational wiki page and it doesn't even really say anything on this page about them promoting a sort of um genetic explanations for group differences but um i was thinking about this like so after i contacted the person i was thinking about this and and you know um it just struck me as a really good example of kind of how the politics works in academia if you are sort of contrarian or if you are willing to say unpopular things. Because, like, I feel like probably what's happened is that I don't like probably nobody has intentionally lied in this chain of communication. I just think that it's almost like, um, Chinese whispers, right? we, uh, you guys call it telephone. Right? So yeah. like in Australia, this game, like, and there's, it's not racist because there's no negative connotation, but basically somebody starts out with some, mes- <laughs> some message. Why is it called Chinese whispers? <laughs> I don't know why it's called Chinese whispers. That's just what we called it. And I don't think there's any negative connotation. So I'm going to keep calling it that until somebody can convince me that it's racist. It's not like the Chinese flu. It's like, Chinese, it's a fun game. It's a positive thing. Anyway, somebody starts out with a message on one side of the classroom and you whisper it to each other. And then gradually at the other end of the classroom, it, it's become like something completely different. And it's always really funny how these things change um, just by gradual miscommunication or mishearing something. But it's like, it's so clear to me how, okay, this person's sort of unpopular. Um, People, if you have this sort of effective dislike of a person, you're just probably more likely to believe something negative about them or sort of hear something and and sort of misinterpret it or sort of exaggerate it in your mind. And then when you pass it on to the next person, 
it might get slightly worse and then it might get slightly worse. And so like gradually this whole community sort of believes this thing about this person that's just not true. Uh, and they're sort of never there to defend themselves and it just sort of gets passed along uncritically because like if I had heard that if I did not know personally this person and know that this was untrue I probably just would have believed it and I probably just would have categorized them in my mind as oh they're like this sort of nasty race science type person when when actually they're not so that was interesting but it also just made me think like you know shit it, it is that what's going to happen to me? Like I, cause I have, I have opinions that would probably upset these kinds of people. Like I, I have some like, you know, disagreements with um, consensus views in psychology. And so like, yeah, just will there be a point where similar kinds of rumors are just being passed around uncritically about me? And, I don't know. It's a little bit scary. And I also just think, God, like we're supposed to be scientists. Not only are we supposed to be scientists, but we sort of hold ourselves in incredibly high, like moral esteem too. Right. So like, like social psychology to me, like incredibly, like we want the moral high ground about everything, like very self-righteous. Like, Oh, I would, I would, I would never spread misinformation. Uh, and we also see ourselves as scientists. Like I'm, I'm critical. I'm skeptical of things. And that's just like this, this idea of like, oh, well, somebody sort of told me this thing about this guy that everybody dislikes. And then I just share it uncritically to other people who then spread it to uh, like everybody else. A, it's like, it's quite immoral, I think, like, especially this charge, like of race science, because it's like the most toxic allegation really in, in our world that you can spread about somebody to spread that uncritically. It's quite immoral, but it's also, um, it's really anti like scientific to just not not like look into it or not need any evidence to sort of share this to other people so i just think like oh man it's uh there's there's the sort of broad ideals and self envision of this scientific community but there's this whole like sort of dirty underside of like day-to-day reputational sort of systems going on that's um very very difficult i think to navigate if you do want to express unpopular opinions or anything like that yeah and i mean i think it's also it's like partially just a reflection of the fact that social psychologists are people too and one of the things people like to do is gossip and you know gossip about anything like i was surprised by how much of um conversation among academics is about like the latest mm. sex scandals and who's mm. like you know marrying their grad student and like um you know like things that are not relevant um mm. or you know or maybe not even like particularly controversial but just yeah that's like a human tendency and i think it makes sense that it also happens when it comes to opinions but i totally agree with what you're saying about like sort of expecting more out of the like academic environment where you like would expect people to like evaluate claims and you know look up the evidence and things like that and i think that was for me one of the most disappointing things about grad school because i came in that was like the main reason that i wanted to go to grad school was to be in an environment where people are just like thinking very rigorously about things and um, questioning evidence because i spent a year out of undergrad working and it was 
just like everybody just like was saying things without thinking critically about anything and sort of just like throwing around all this like pop science bullshit and I was like no we should look at the studies and we should like actually think about it and then I was like yeah I'm gonna go back to academia because I want to be in an environment where that's what people do Mm. and then it turned out that that's not at all what people do and Mm. yeah it was pretty disappointing yeah yeah um totally uh so hmm, not much more to say about that i guess like um stop lying about people <laughs> like no because that's the, that's the interesting thing is that like this can happen without anybody intentionally lying right yeah. it, all, all you need to do is just yeah have these like sort of slight biases that make you m- more likely to believe certain things uh, th- or like sort of mix up related concepts or like i don't know like this and yeah it, it's just like this toxicity sort of is just spreads from one person to another so like let's say there's there's an academic who does want to study race science and then there's another person who defends them as having the right to study what they want to study and then another person defends that person's <laughs> like right to defend who they what they think mm-hmm. the principles of academia are and then another like it and it just like the yeah there's a really interesting video by this left-wing um commentator called contrapoints talking about cancel culture and she talks about this sort of feature of of, of cancellation where like sort of the the status of being a non-person just spreads so so easily and and Mm -hmm. sort of like unless you sort of vociferously like distance yourself from every non-person there's a real risk that you will be declared a non-person and i like i mean that yeah like a recent survey showed 60 percent of university students in the u.s like are self-censoring like they're not Mm -hmm. saying things they're they're worried about um like saying what they believe about certain things and it just i don't know to me it just has to be this this fear and this thing that you know people call cancel culture and other people think doesn't exist yeah i mean um some people would say that it's good that they're self-censoring because that means that they're not saying the hurtful things that you know they were saying in the past but anyway that's that's also a whole other topic that might be true to some extent and it's hard to argue against that but it's like really so like you think 60 percent of people are just like bigots who (laughs) should not be able to say what they actually think and i don't know i mean like say even if that was true and 60 percent of people just had views that were like well that's another question too is like how can a belief like if it's something you honestly believe about the world how can beliefs be immoral right like i think like actions can be immoral and sort of like uh desires can be immoral but i I, i'm not sure there's such a thing as an immoral sort of factual belief because it's not really a belief's not something you can fake like it's it's like if there's if well, when you say does it you said factual belief like mm-hmm. do you think there's immoral value beliefs like if i just believe some people are better than others yeah 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 well yeah i think so like i think that's where you can't like so like um you know hume's thing of like it doesn't go against reason for me to prefer the destruction of the world to like a scratch on my finger uh that's you know you can't argue with it on logical grounds but it it does strike me as like something we could have moral qualms about mm-hmm. right um so yeah like 
but yeah like when when it's something that's just a factual belief what you actually think about the world i'm not sure how that can be immoral and and i don't know that's another topic for another day anyway what what we really wanted to do is to try to get you cancelled by talking about what yes so my um very controversial take is that i don't think that grad students need to be paid more um and so let me just bring up the context for this there was Someone said on Twitter, and this is something that's been coming up a lot on Twitter, and I at first I thought it was just because like I clicked on the one thing and then the algorithm kept showing me similar things, but you said you've also been seeing this a lot. So yeah. this one tweet said, we need to start talking about how low PhD students get paid compared to the effort and qualifications. A PhD has a master's, if not several, and are paid less than minimum wage for at least 40 to 45 hours a week, and sometimes weekend, weekends um, just let that sink in. And so, first of all, I just love the we need to start talking about as if like we haven't been talking about this, as if you're the first person to, to you know, think yeah. about this yeah. topic. But setting that aside, um, I responded maybe a little cheekily, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, but I said, alternatively, try framing it as instead of needing to pay for school like I had to in undergrad, now, not only do I not have to pay, I'm actually getting paid. How cool is that? And I think, like, that is something that people are not... So, so there's... Sorry. There's, like, so many pieces to this um, issue, mm. and, mm. like, I don't even know where to start. And so mm. I'm just going to dive in and we can <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a just good jump around. But, yeah, so one thing is, like, people... When you go to undergrad, you typically have to pay a lot of money for it. Um, you're getting an education which you value um, and you think that it's going to help you in life and you'll get a better career. And that is, for the most part, true. Um, it's not true of everyone. Some people spend a lot of money on education and then end up working on a minimum wage job and like losing more money than if they hadn't gone. But for most people, that higher education gives you more opportunities and lets you advance. Um, and we sort of, we talk about like we need to lower the cost of higher ed, but we don't, no one is arguing that we need to start paying undergrads to go to school. And yet we are paying PhD students. Um, and, and I just want to say like, I'm talking about psychology and like the typical, like you get paid to, to go to grad school. Like obviously there's many different configurations and I don't know about all the different ones, so I'm not claiming this as like a universal um but yeah and so like why should grad students get paid um and so i think like there's basically grad students are typically getting paid for doing research or for teaching right like those are the main tracks that you would get paid for and so i kind of want to explore like what is teaching worth and what is research worth but also what's the cost of grads like you don't have to pay for grad school so it's sort of like they cancel each other out to some extent um mm. yeah i don't know i i have a lot more to say but i could just i think this is going to be an episode where you're going to have to interrupt my rants <laughs> instead of the other way around um, all right so, so yeah um hmm I, I guess. Well, I definitely think um, 
undergrad is too expensive in the US, right? Um, so coming from Australia, I did undergrad. It's pretty much like uh, you can just get student loans from the government. You do have to pay them back, but they're indexed to inflation. So they don't, they don't grow. Like nobody goes bankrupt and ends up with $200,000 worth of debt um, uh, that they're stuck under because of their student loans. And that, and that um, I just think is a much better system and would be feasible in the U.S., I don't know if more more people go to college in the U.S. than in Australia. It sort of feels that way, um, but yeah, I think like the the concept of student debt does lead to like a lot of a lot of stress and anxiety among um, American undergrads, and I do think it's possible and feasible to do that in a better way. I'm definitely not arguing that we should pay undergrads. Um, yeah, for for a PhD, it's interesting. So, like, I at one point was possibly going to not teach for a semester and sort of take a um, sixteen to twenty hour a week uh, job, sort of like a consulting role on the side, and get paid for that. <clears throat> and they were offering like a decent amount of money. They were offering me like six a sixty k salary, but this is like. 20 hours a week right so like um that's for like part-time work so all right so but over one semester it would be like 30k and i actually like did the maths and realized that it wasn't in my financial interest to do that because part of when you're at um at berkeley anyway and you teach you get a sort of a fee remission right so they sort Mm -hmm. of like because you're teaching you get a salary but also a large part of your salary is that they're canceling student fees right yeah. uh so like i actually realized that um i would be in a much worse financial position if i took this like equivalent 120k per year role than if i just taught a class uh at berkeley and took the fee remission and took the salary so i eventually decided not to so yeah sometimes i think like yeah maybe people don't realize quite how much resources um they are being given as a grad student if they take into account like almost like exactly what you said like i'm not trying to mansplain and take credit for your idea here but like this is more or less what you said is that where you're getting you're getting grad school for free uh and you have to sort of take that into account in, in the financial calculus I'm going to try to argue against you, though, just so this isn't boring, right? Like, so, for example, I was looking up faculty salaries at UC Berkeley. And, like, both my previous advisors are making, like, around 300K per year. Um, And that's just from the university that, like, on top of that, they could be doing, like, I think consulting at tech firms or, like, talking or writing books, stuff like that. I'm sure they have other sources of income. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, that like that's a huge amount of money. Like, it, it, I think like back, like if you convert that to Australian, it's like almost half a million. That's like a CEO's salary in mm-hmm. Australia. That like that's an enormous amount of money. More money than like I ever imagined was possible for somebody like yeah. me to earn. Like, I would have a hard time arguing with so let's say there's like four to one grad students versus faculty in that department i think that's probably like that's about roughly right that you could like pay grad students more and pay faculty slightly less like equalize those salaries um 
and you might uh yeah that that might be better right so like grad students at berkeley make about 30k Mm -hmm. if each of them made say 40k um so 10k extra to the grad students and each faculty's pay gets docked 40k yeah like i could i could see that being like a decent solution like i don't think faculty are gonna like that or agree with it and definitely not every so I, i also looked at there's a like brand new sort of assistant professor there and they're on like 140 or something like that so they'd be i guess in this system going down but then i guess you could take a bit more off the 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 big big salaries and stuff like Mm -hmm. that i mean arguments against might be like ah this would hurt our ability okay right okay yeah okay you 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 go um yeah so i mean i think that well one thing that i think is part of the equation is like what's the value that each party is bringing to the table and i think famous faculty are you know they they publish a lot they produce a lot of good for the university they make the university ranking go up and like that's important and probably draws in undergrads like people want to go to the Mm. school where carol dweck is whatever you know um Wait, you don't think undergrads were like flocking to Berkeley to so they could take a class <laughs> with Paul Connor? Is that what you're saying? That's yeah. <laughs> Sorry to you know, but yeah. So like, I think grad students they have potential to someday you know do something important, but for the most part they aren't yet, and like mm. that's okay. They're in training, but you don't pay people in training as much as you pay people who are. Uh, you know, actually producing the goods. And um, I think, and then the other part of it is like, people have a choice, right? Like we're, we're, we're treating this as like, as if grad students are, were like kidnapped and forced into (laughs) like forced labor or something. Everyone, every single grad student made a conscious decision knowing what they were going to get paid and they decided that it was worth it for them because yeah. it's an investment in their future and if you did like and and I think you know there's something about like like a little bit of a free market sort of argument here like the price is set because a bunch of people want to do it there's way you know we talked about this last time about how many applicants there are mm-hmm. and like if if it wasn't worth it to people, then people wouldn't be doing it, and then maybe they would raise the salaries. But like, mm. they don't need to because it's still worthwhile. So, yeah, that that seems like a good argument to me. I don't know. Yeah. So what? So somebody comes into a grad program uh, of their own free will, and they know what the stipend is going to be. And then a couple of years in, they're on Twitter. (laughs) You know what we need to talk about? Grad students need to be paid more. Yeah, I mean, it does. Yeah, like on one hand, yeah, you can sort of say, ah, well, you knew what you were getting into. But then again, um, couldn't somebody say, well, you know, like I really want to do research. I really want to be a professor. And this this is the only pathway to achieve that. Um, and you know, like if, if I can collectively bargain for a higher salary for grad students, I should do that. Right. Like, so, you know, 
I, I mean, somebody might say, well, I think almost everybody should be paid more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I happen to be in, uh, in this position as a grad student. This happens to be my station in life. Like if I was if I was working at McDonald's, I'd be campaigning for you know higher pay for McDonald's workers. But this is just where I am. So if we can you know raise a fuss and talk about increases in cost of living and and talk about this and that and and try to keep the pressure on almost almost like saying well you know if we're not advocating (laughs) for this this salary it's going to be stagnant like it's going to fall behind inflation and and you know so it almost just like you know yeah like like Twitter, Twitter rants about how like we deserve more and everything like that. This is all just sort of part of this system where everybody sort of has to advocate for themselves to get as much as they can. Otherwise, you know, if you don't, if you don't advocate for yourself, other people are not going to. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, but it's sort of operating under the assumption that like that PhD students need to be paid a living wage in order like to be paid as students a, a wage mm. that you know not only pays for grad school but also pays them a living wage on top of that and I, don't, I mean forget about the comparison to undergrad like what about law school or med school or like you know professional schools where people are uh, they're pay, they they have to pay they have to take out loans in order to make it through those like four or five ten years however long it takes but then they get through and they got, you know, what they were working towards and now they're making more money. And like, why are, why mm. is PhD different? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, but before I respond to it, I just want to say like, technically you kind of just said that you don't think grad students should be paid a living wage. So that's going to, that's going to be, the, that's, <laughs> that's going to be the excerpt. That's the soundbite from this podcast, I think, which probably will uh, attract attention. <laughs> I th- I mean, it is their job. Like it is the, what they're doing full time. I definitely think they should be paid a living wage so they can live. But but no? why? Like, because well, oh, but why? I mean, it's because it takes up all your time and yeah. But so so if you think mm. like I think that we should mm. have here. Here's my sort of mm. like s- perfect system. It's not perfect mm-hmm. by any means, but. We have grants for people who have like a lot of promising potential, and I think that's good. And I think we need to do more to help people um, at sort of lower levels become more competitive to be able to like get those grants. So like you know the NSF uh, GRFP is now going to mostly students at like Harvard and Yale and you know Ivy League schools, but we need to do more to prepare other students for it. But let's assume that that system works. And so you would be getting paid uh, more than a um, living wage if you were if you got a grant, and I think that's good because like then we're helping people who really have the potential to like contribute and like give something back and like be turned into like productive members of the research community, and then other people who you know believe in themselves but maybe the system doesn't believe in them as much, they can take out loans just like med mm. students do and law students and undergrads mm. and or like you know people who are just like entrepreneurs like if you open a restaurant you take out a loan because you're investing in your own business and yourself and 
that's what a PhD student is doing, um, essentially. So like, yeah, I don't think they should be starving in the streets, but I don't, I also don't think that taxpayers should be, should be the ones to necessarily Mm. like support Mm. their choice to get a higher, uh, degree. Wow. Interesting. So, hmm. I assume you got the GR. I did not. (laughs) You did not. Okay. Right. So you're on the taxpayer dime. I, yeah, I am. And also, yeah, this is where I I was going to start with this, but I forgot. Mm -hmm. This is where I have to say like a disclaimer, which Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, like, and you know, people who know me know I live with my fiance who is a software engineer and he pays for most of the bills because he makes enough money. And like, I am very privileged in that sense. Um, in undergrad, I wasn't like I, I have a lot of loans from undergrad. I was like working like 15, 20 hours a week and, you know, just trying to get by. Um, and I think I would be able to do the same if I didn't have if I wasn't like lucky to have a partner who can support me. But I am. And like I acknowledge that. But I don't think that makes any of my points like less, mm. Um, mm. you know, less worthy. Hmm. So, hmm. I definitely. The, the one thing you said really resonated to me, which is like you know. I all throughout grad school, you know, there's there's always like grad students want to go on strike, especially in the UC system. It feels like every year there was some like support the grad student strike because we we need better pay and conditions and stuff like that and the latest thing was um grad student researchers so people who weren't even teaching like uh that had um research fellowships which like unionizing and were like you know we need you know we need a union and stuff like that and like on one hand i have always sort of just just been generally supportive of these things like i i i like unions in general (laughs) like it's just like uh you know it has positive i have positive implicit associations uh of unions so i'm like yeah this is great but it also like there is something about it that is is sort of unique which is the fact that like all these people or like i don't know what percentage of them but i i would guess a very 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 high percentage uh, just in this transitionary phase of their life um, and will go on to find very, very good jobs uh, mm-hmm. and be very comfortable and like almost all of them are just going to end up living comfortable upper middle class lives, right? Yep. And I, I do think that's a valid reason to not care as much about their brief plight in grad school Mm -hmm. uh where they're struggling and they have to like they can't eat out as much as they want to and and stuff like that compared to say fast food workers who are sort of fighting for like a higher wage but sort of in the same way uh and might be struggling with poverty in similar ways but don't have this quite obvious path um to a better future where you can sort of bet like with high confidence that they're all going to end up upper middle class comfortable Mm -hmm. in in good high paying jobs and stuff like that so yeah like that is part of it for me and and i don't really see anybody 
talking about that at all when when grad students complain about how low their wages are and stuff like that um but i think that that sort of does factor into it for me just in terms of how much i am i will ever care that you know grad students want you know 5k extra per year because yeah. i just think like well for a start i mean i mean like if you if you put a grad student salary uh into that there's an amazing website that can tell you like where your income ranks globally uh and even like a very very low salary in a developed western country is generally in the top one or two percent well yeah but like is that i don't know if that's fair because you know cost of living here is a lot higher i don't know if that takes that into account um it's sort of like if you're struggling to pay for food and rent then it doesn't matter if you're struggling on thirty thousand or like ten thousand yeah yeah i i mean i to yeah to an extent that that's true but i I also just think like well it it does translate to some degree like because there's there are places in the world where struggling for food and rent means a very different thing to what what it means here like it means actually not eating whereas here it means eating food that you don't you're not excited about right like Mm -hmm. two minute noodles and stuff like that um and also just like yeah just this just this thing of like well you 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 know you have this clear sort of path to to being very comfortable in the future and this is this is like temporary so um yeah yeah. and it's not just like the future like a lot of things that people are talking about on twitter is you know if if i were working in industry right now i would be getting paid like 10 Mm. times as much it's like okay go work in industry then you know Mm. like if that's what matters to you and if that's like what you need at this time in your life no Mm. one's forcing you to stay and you know if you hate ramen so much (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah uh and that's a that's an interesting point too i mean industry industry definitely pays more i mean Honestly, I was surprised when I saw those professor salaries at Berkeley, though. I, like, because that—that's a—that's a very competitive pay rate, and I mean, those are the like people who've reached like the pinnacle of the pinnacle. You know, I de- definitely like if you're a professor at like a small state school in, in you know, um, middle America. I don't like. I don't think you're getting paid nearly that much. Um, I was trying to compare the University of Michigan salaries because uh, I assume they're similar in just in terms of it being like a an elite sort of public institution but they they make it a lot harder to check oh well (laughs) i mean at our school you know unc is also pretty good Mm. um the highest what what did you say (laughs) (laughs) i said it's okay um we're like you know one of the top whatever um so yeah the highest paying faculty member in the social program is making around two hundred thousand a year um and then most of the other ones are at around like a hundred thousand yeah two hundred thousand like that's a lot of yeah and cost of living here is much cheaper than it is in berkeley for sure so and there yeah that's that's a fascinating thing because like they're in the one percent they like they're really rich yeah. these people especially the ones who are right. like two like a two-parent income 
mm. or you know, two-person income in like a family that where both people are earning a hundred to two hundred k a year. That's mm. yeah, a lot yeah, of money. yeah. And they sort of like ostensibly maintain this sort of radical egalitarian politics. Mm-hmm. like all the while just like raking in <laughs> and <laughs> complaining about how much academics are not paid enough yeah 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 um okay so going back to the point you made yeah you you have the free choice to move to industry yeah i, th- I think it's true and i like it, it's sort of it gets to the heart of like well you know where where do you think this money should be coming from mm-hmm. um I mean, universities get money from a lot of places, a lot of complex sources, right? Um, there's at Berkeley, for example, like I think the majority of it comes from tuition. Mm-hmm. And then there's some state funding, there's some federal funding, there's donors, they make money through the athletics program. Um, and I think those are more or less the, the primary sources. And grants. Grants, like I guess, right. Grants, right, 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 which which can contribute to grad student pay, but not in a like predictable, reliable way. I yeah. guess, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I go. Wh- where do you think this money's coming from? Um, I don't know. I guess like uh, people would argue that. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue that we should raise tuition to pay grad students more, would they? I, I don't think so, but I think they just haven't really thought through enough. Mm. Um, like where, and, and that's something I think that uh, people on the left, like the economic mm. left, um, don't really address enough is like, where's the money going to come from? Um, mm. It's usually just like tax the rich more, which I guess in this case would be lower the mm. salaries of the administrators and professors. And, you know, like you're saying, just cut the salaries of people who are at the high ends. No, no. I, I think I think that's wrong. I think like by tax the rich, it means like billionaires, millionaires, and billion or like. Well, yeah. I mean, in mm-hmm. society as a whole, Although, but I'm just like thinking about like in the university system. Mm-hmm. But I guess you could say just tax the rich, like get the money from Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos or someone, yeah, and yeah. then pay grad students with that yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know. I like. I guess I kind of agree with that. Okay, but then, like, another thing is opportunity cost. If we're taxing Jeff Bezos mm. more, why, why, like, grad students are not the, the thing that I think need the most, like, they're not the source no. that needs the most money, right? No, like, no, no, right. And it's not like you complaining on Twitter about grad student salaries like there's any plausible mechanism where that leads to Jeff Bezos getting taxed more. Like you should be talking about taxing Jeff Bezos more or I don't know, you should be trying to like, uh, like phone bank in some swing congressional district rather than like, because the demand is just, just do like I think the demand in practical terms is like, look, I don't, I don't care how you make it happen. Just, you've got to make it happen because we, we, we deserve more. Um, and I don't think the demand is linked to, well, well, we have to wait until, you know, like we can get like the federal government to pass sweeping tax legislation. I don't think that would appease anybody. Right. I think they would say, no, like, look how much you're spending on campus police or look how much this and that, like um, just divert money from elsewhere to pay us. So even though I do think that taxing billionaires and millionaires 
is ultimately the solution to a lot, if not all, of society's ills. Um, like you're definitely right that paying grad students more shouldn't take priority over like I don't know providing people healthcare or getting homeless people off the streets uh, yeah. and stuff or, like or that. Or even in the education system, like making sure that people can read at grade level and yeah, can do right. math beyond like fourth grade math skills and you know like grad yeah, students we, like like you know yeah we really are at the top one percent yeah grad students who chose voluntarily to go into the program knowing what the stipend was uh who do have very good career prospects after they leave grad school whether they go into academia or not yeah i think they're pretty far down the tone pole of like um uh social social need um social injustice so yeah uh but i guess like hmm, i i my my broad vision would be that that would be ultimately where in a perfect world the money would be coming from um to pay grad students more if there was anything left over after fixing homelessness and (laughs) And all the rest of the problems of society. (laughs) Sure, sure. You know, if we have limitless funds and just want to throw money away, fine. But, Mm. I mean, I think there is also a discussion to be had about the value that grad students bring to the table. Um, Mm. Not just in comparison to faculty, but just like... Yeah. I think teaching is valuable. Um, TAs are a very valuable resource and, like, universities will not be able to... Yeah. survive without them um and i think that there is a question of like what like why does grad school cost so much too like right yeah. like if if your teaching salary is sort of canceled out by your tuition mm. why is the tuition so high like mm. i'm taking one class yeah. a semester and meeting with my advisor like once a month maybe Mm. (laughs) like you Mm. know like what resources am i using that the tuition Mm. is costing so much so i think like that's probably probably i mean how many pdfs are you downloading (laughs) (laughs) that's true i I do it it adds up right (laughs) yeah i Um, mean yeah that's a that's a legitimate question too i mean yeah like i took i took some classes and I guess I used, like, library access, like, journal access, the yeah. universities. Like, I guess I I used the university Zoom. Um, That's true. But, yeah, it's not like, hmm. And you took up a little bit of your advisor's time. But, like, yeah, you could you could double the amount of grad students in a university and... Yeah, it's not it's not clear what what resources they'd be exhausting. I mean, the the real reason you couldn't do that at a place like Berkeley is that just there's, there's not enough classes for everybody to to teach, right? Like there's I don't know how they do it, but it's pretty it seems very very well calibrated how many like um TAs they need versus mm-hmm. how many grad students they admit and they have and that actually might uh, be an interesting situation because Berkeley is like now a lot of departments are saying, well, we should admit fewer grad students mm-hmm. uh, so that we can give more resources um, to the ones we have, which I always found a really interesting like solution to this problem of like um, grad students wanting more uh, because 
you know, like, obviously, like, it's this sort of feel-good solution, whereas, like, the students that you actually admit, you can give them more and, and maybe they're happier. But there's two students out there who like, never will know that they were the ones who would have gotten in yeah. had you not reduced the number of grad students. Yeah, and they're probably not happy about it, but they... Well, they 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 because they will never know that they were the ones who missed out they are never able to like complain and advocate for themselves right so but they're being yeah. saved from um being paid you know <laughs> slave wages and whatever yeah yeah they might go to industry and just make 10 times as much yeah which, so really know, they're ten. doing them a favor by rejecting them yeah potentially <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's um, it's complicated. I personally like. I would not be here if it was your system, right? Because I was not eligible for the GRFP. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky that like they let me into Berkeley and sort of paid. Um paid for me through grants and like taxes like american american taxpayers paid for me to go to berkeley mm -hmm. and you know uh you know and i also taught and i tried to teach well and stuff like that but i mean that's the other thing too is like i think like some grad students are much better teachers than others and some some aren't particularly good like in my undergrad experience i had great tas and i had pretty bad tas as well yeah same. so like I, yeah it's difficult just to say oh well this is the value we're providing when it's just this sort of everybody's just plugged into a position and almost regardless of how well you do it you, you'll just keep getting it yeah getting put in that position through grad school right um even though i do think most most grad students who care about it and try hard and and do it pretty well uh in my experience but yeah well, I yeah, know. I mean, you wouldn't... So, would you have considered taking out a loan to be able to go to hmm. grad school? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then you would be in the same place. You would have a little bit hmm. more debt, but you'd hmm. pay it off in a few years. You'd be, you'd be fine. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be in a position yet to be paying much <laughs> off it, like, with my, with my postdoc salary, but eventually sure in theory yeah no i mean i would have i would have um it's possible though that um you would be excluding people uh from less financially secure uh backgrounds right like i i think like part of what would give me the confidence to take out a loan would be like you know I know that if I really, really experienced financial hardship, I could probably lean on, lean on my parents for help uh, and stuff like that. I think that might be something to consider um, equity of access to grad school mm -hmm. might, might be adversely affected under your regime. It's possible. Um, I think that, yeah, and that, that's also like something that, you know, I think is like a stronger point against uh, my view. But, I mean, ultimately, like, yeah, people, sometimes people 
take out loans that are risky and that you know don't actually turn into you know they don't they're not mm. a good investment but i think that maybe that's a good thing to sort of restrict the people who are going to grad school like mm. i think we should aim for access for um underprivileged people who have mm. the potential to succeed but it also shouldn't just be like anyone who feels like they don't know what they're going to do next is going to go to mm. grad school and taxpayers are going to pay for it like you mm. should have some personal stake in the matter mm. and like i don't know i mean i don't know how important it is for you to be able to have someone to like fall back on like what so like what's the scenario where you aren't able to pay back your debt is it just like you graduate mm. and you can't get a oh, job well, or i mean us well, i mean us student debts are really scary in the sense that like there's real interest like it's the interest really does stack up right so like let's say for example you do grad school you come out and then you get sick or something like that mm -hmm. and you you can't work or i don't know there's a financial crisis uh and there's just no jobs right or you have to take a very low paying job and you can't yeah like you can't pay back much of the loan and um yeah like I mean, I guess, yeah. The, hmm. I, mean, I think, it, yeah, that is risky, but, yeah, I mean, it's also risky, like, for taxpayers to be paying thousands of dollars for your education, and, like, who knows if you're ever going to hmm. bring any benefit to society by being better educated. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I'm still not convinced that um, social science is contributing much to society and when you yeah. like and the, and there's you know and I think social science is better than a lot of departments in that sense like the, all the grievance studies departments mm -hmm. um, like I really struggle to see the benefit of them I will say this though like I always thought hmm I, like I always had this sort of ambivalent relationship to philosophy, right? Because I, when I did my um, honors year in philosophy, I really like got a, like more acquainted with what the life of an academic philosopher was, and really just had this realization that like none of them were doing anything that was <laughs> having any impact in society at all. Like yeah. they were just writing these papers in these journals that hardly anybody ever read about these really arcane nitpicky things because to actually write academic philosophy you have to choose such a sort of yeah. niche weird topic that so like but i always had this uh alternate thought which is that like well uh, you know if the alternative is we just don't have philosophy departments i i that sort of scares me too like that we don't have people in our society sort of just devoted to thinking through things mm -hmm. and 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 analyzing things as deep as you can possibly analyze them so like i have this sort of yeah this weird it's almost like how i feel about art right yeah. like like art and music like yeah like most artists don't get paid very much and and like sometimes like you know sometimes i i see like 
government funding for the arts and i think what really that's you're giving like my friend for example got a hundred thousand dollars from the australian government to make a a, like a pilot of a sitcom Mm -hmm. that was like not very good (laughs) and it never got picked up and it never went anywhere and i was just like but you're the government like you you're you're responsible for providing people health care and caring for like homeless people and all these sorts of things and like preventing crime and stuff like that and you're giving you're giving this guy a hundred thousand dollars just to make a shitty sitcom but also like i don't know like it, it thank god there's people in the arts right like thank god there's people yeah trying to trying to create this stuff because what is what is life without that so yeah, yeah. I, i'm not I mean, exactly I th- sure where i was going with that i'm like i guess like it's i guess like i guess my point would be even though university departments you might be able to look at them and say in practical terms what is your impact Mm -hmm. on society like what have you done and and like at the individual level it's almost impossible like if somebody was to say to me what what good has any of this research you've done done in the world uh i would have very it would be very very difficult for me to prove in any practical way that it's done anything yeah right and i think that's the case for most researchers but yeah like i i also kind of just in my head prefer the society where there that there are these departments versus the society where they're just all abandoned yeah no, i mean i agree i yeah with everything you just said like it's it, it is there is some like abstract value in just having the humanities and social sciences and just like having these people who are like the keepers and producers of knowledge and sort of like you know and I think that that's where the like grants part of my mm. design fits in because like I do think we should be funding we should be paying some people to just like sit around and think all day it mm. shouldn't be most people and it should be mm. the most like promising um and sort of like the brightest and whatever and and um I'm fine with like with funding some of that I'm just not fine with you know mm. funding everyone to like go through five or six years of grad school and like who knows what'll become of them hmm. yeah what if you have to cast a wide net to find the the few people that make it worthwhile i don't know i kind of doubt that's true but but do you not think like if you <laughs> this could be a misperception just caused by the way that we write about and think about history but if you look through history like and think about scientific progress Mm -hmm. like it's hard not to get the impression that it's like it, it it's just like a handful of geniuses who actually like advance things uh and like this idea that there's like you know 5000 social psychology departments with like each with you know 10 professors and 50 grad students and we're all just like doing valuable work <laughs> like it it just doesn't seem right like like probably not like to actually advance human knowledge and science yeah but i mean i guess i don't i guess i don't know because there are like like a field like physics i guess i just don't know enough about it to know how how much progress in that field 
like can be attributed to like superstar geniuses versus like you're just sort of um mediocre like for the field um professor at a lower ranked university or just like grad average grad student and their dissertation and stuff like that how much of a contribution yeah is being made there because there are scientific fields where we <laughs> that do contribute to st- stuff of the world like we you know we're talking to each other over the internet like we're using these computers like with scientific progress and technological progress is real um and i know that like people would argue like a lot of it is done in industry but those people got trained in universities as well and a lot of a lot of it does come from universities and academia too and i just like yeah like i so, like so many like open science critiques like sort of show and there was actually an interesting paper that just came out um that we could talk about just sort of showing that like uh when um more and more papers are being published in a field um they were sort of arguing that it it kind of can stultify progress because like um interesting new challenging ideas are likely to get lost because when there's just this huge avalanche of papers and new information you have to read things in a very heuristic way and so they were sort of showing this relationship between when there's more papers being published those papers um but become sort of more uh they were more likely to sort of just be citing the same sort of canonical Mm -hmm. texts and sort of they were sort of arguing that like this this version of science where it's just like so many people publishing so many papers uh could be holding back scientific progress because uh like genuinely new uh, challenging ideas that might change things would just get lost in the in the crowd. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you're like looking for a needle in the haystack and you just keep dumping more hay on it, then like yeah, it's harder right. to find the needle. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, yeah, like we. I think that's just like a general argument for limiting the number of grad students and like number of researchers in a field and also maybe limiting Mm. the publications to like you have to like have really good publications um Mm. rather than just whatever you find just find somewhere to publish it um but i don't know how much like we yeah i don't know how much like intentional regulation on that would be a good thing Mm. Yeah. I yeah, I almost think like you're arguing for just a sort of libertarian free market um free market view of how science should work. It's like, well, you know, grad school salaries should be set by supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And salaries are very low because so many people just want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and that's similar in art and music, right? Like, if I was a struggling musician, I could get on Twitter and say, you know what, we need to pay struggling musicians more. And, like, I I was a struggling musician, and I did it because I loved it. And I was, you know, like, hoping to be successful and stuff like that. But I always knew the risk going into it. Mm-hmm. And I never thought... I just don't think it's it's legitimate when people say, we need to be paying poets more, we need to be paying musicians yeah. more. And it's like, well... 
I, yeah, like I don't, I don't, I don't know about that, you know, because um, yeah, like the the pay is low because the market is flooded with people that want to do this, mm-hmm. and you know, like you're not producing something that people want to pay for or are willing to pay for. I, yeah, I don't know, like I. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sort of like a libertarian free market person in general. Like I kind of believe in state intervention in the, in the markets to some extent, but I also think like there's a legitimate argument there. Um, Cause if you just like, if anybody can say, I want to be a poet and the government is going to give them like a decent salary to do it. I think that's not an efficient way to organize a society. So I don't know. I think we would need to do 10 podcasts about this to really like (laughs) figure out what I actually think about it. But I don't know. Hopefully this was interesting and food for thought. I definitely, if you're listening to this, if there's major things that we've missed, which I think is totally possible, please let us know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think most likely, like I said, like one of the strongest arguments is just like, uh, restricting access to underprivileged people. Um, but I really think the best use of our resources to help solve that problem is to help underprivileged people better, like at lower levels of education, you know, help them in elementary school and high school in undergrad, help them become competitive and, you know, be able to get grants because they have actual research that's worth doing and then we don't have to like lose out by funding people who aren't going anywhere so yeah all right uh i think that's about it for me do you have any final words to say on this topic um not much on this topic i'll just say that um with the organizational skills that i bring to the podcast uh it's clear that we have a lot of really interesting topics coming up and uh, hopefully some really good guests so um yeah if this was too much rambling about (laughs) academia and like how much people are getting paid we promise to deliver more interesting content at some point i promise nothing (laughs) That's <laughs> you're listening to it of your own free will and if you do not you know like the podcast yeah. the stop button is right there so yeah yeah you're you're uh, this is this is your free choice people <laughs> i promise you nothing anyway um yeah have a great weekend everybody and rachel talk to you soon okay. Bye. bye, bye.